All right, well, good morning, Life Point. How are y'all? Wonderful. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we are going to launch our morning from there, and then we're going to look at a number of different other verses which are supplied in your bulletin. And as you guys are opening, I want to go ahead and welcome in our Frisco uh, multi-site. Hi, Frisco. Glad you guys are joining us. Excited about that. Well, uh, if you're here this morning, this is going to be a little bit different of a morning than maybe you're used to uh, at LifePoint. So if you're a longtime family member, I just want to set this up. But I also want to set this up for any guests we have here today. This is going to be a non-traditional type of message uh, for a number of reasons, and I'll set it up in this way. Sometimes as a family, and you may know this, sometimes you've got to deal with an important pressing issue uh, there's some type of crisis that's maybe going on, or there's an end-of-life situation, or we've got kids sneaking out of the house, some kind of big issue that's going on that impacts the whole family. And so what you may do in your uh, particular family unit, uh, you may remember this growing up, is you've got to gather the family around the table or the living room area and sit down and lovingly talk about the issue. You've got to get it out in the open. And then as a family, you've got to figure out a way to address the issue and come to some type of resolution, some position that helps your family to work through it together as a united front. Well, today is one of those days that we as a spiritual family are going to try to work through such an issue. We are all going to gather here in this worship space around the teaching table, and I'm going to try to help navigate us around this particular pressing issue that I think we probably need some help coming to resolve uh, with respect to this issue. We've got to resolve on this issue. We've got to come to a conclusion or position statement to help us walk together as a Christian family um, moving forward. And the, the topic today that we're going to address is the topic of this, uh, or maybe could be described with this question, how do I as a Christian who is regularly practicing loving one another as Jesus commands, how do I as a Christian love my gay neighbor? When I use the term gay neighbor, what I'm really referring to is not specifically your neighbor who happens to be gay. I'm, I'm really using this metaphorically to, to refer to a number of different family or friendship relationships we might have. Uh, because let's just be honest, here today we probably have a, a lot of folks, a lot of family members who have maybe a gay or a lesbian neighbor but you might have a gay or a lesbian son, daughter. You might have gay and lesbian grandchildren or parents, or you've got gay and lesbian friends or coworkers. And uh, if, we're not, if we don't have a clear uh, teaching from Scripture, if we don't have any kind of position on this, uh, then what has happened historically or what could potentially happen moving forward is when we get around our, our friends, our neighbors, our children, our parents, our grandchildren, our coworkers, we just kind of lock up or we just get real stuffy and we're not really sure how to talk or how to respond. We're, we're constantly on eggshells trying to avoid this topic. And we probably are keenly aware that our gay neighbors are aware that we're aware that they're aware that we're aware, right? One of those situations where then we just kind of clam up and they're like, what is going on with you? And so I want us just to, to look to God's word here today, and just very humbly from a position of repentance, from a position of love and respect and grace and mercy, delve into this issue as a family. And so we're going to pray here in just a little bit, but I want to invite you, as I've done this week by email, I want to invite you to pray for me as the communicator. I want you to pray for each other. I want you to even pray for those specific relationships that you might have 
that Jesus would really just do an amazing work of grace in our lives and in the lives of our friends and our neighbors and our relatives. Because we only have about 40 minutes to talk about this issue, here's my approach today, and I'll just be real honest with you. Um, My job is to just fly over this issue and give you about a 30,000-foot view of the topic, okay? And uh, to to do that, I think, is going to, at the end, at the conclusion day, it's going to raise a number of questions that you might have, right? You might have some very specific relationship-oriented kind of questions that you want to address, and I'm not going to have time to, uh, to, to talk about that, to cover that. Uh, in a helpful way today, but, but here's my promise to you. Uh, you guys, Belinda just mentioned this, each of you have a connection card. And so if you have a question, if you would, would mind just, or wouldn't mind just writing it out on the card and turning it in the offering plate as it comes by later on. And Frisco, I want you guys to do this as well. If you have a connection card, you turn it in in the back end when Austin gets up to do uh, the announcements there. Austin is our intern who's doing announcements today. So you just turn that in, Frisco, Plano, you guys just turn it in uh, at the very end. You don't have to put your name on it. You don't have to put contact information. Uh, you just need to fill out the question. And here, here's my promise and commitment to you. My commitment is this. This week... Uh, starting on Monday, I will both uh, write a blog post uh, trying to cover some of these issues, as well as I will do a podcast this week that will send out an audio podcast that you guys can listen to uh, in your cars as you drive to work, your commute time or whatever, that will address any of these issues that you guys ask. If you guys ask a question, I'm going to try to address it this week, okay? That's my commitment. So if you have something specific you want to know, if this raises some other questions, please, please fill out a connection card uh, and ask us. Or additionally, you can go to one of our many social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and you can ask us on social media. And I'll try to address that in both the blog post or the podcast that will go on later this week. You can find all of that, just in case you're curious, at lifepointplano.org slash blog. We will have all of that there for you. Just a really convenient resource for you all. Okay, so that's, that's the overview, that's set up the morning. I've talked to you about some of the specific stuff. Uh, let, let me do this um, and, and to kind of set up the conversation, and then I'm going to pray. So I'll set it up with this. In March of 2013, the Supreme Court was uh, beginning to deal at a public level with uh, the, the topic politically of gay marriage. And so I have a personal blog that I write on, DougHankins.com, and I... Uh, just decided, you know, at some point I was just going to kind of weigh into that issue. And really, I had a lot of friends who were like y'all who had some questions about this. So I just wrote this blog post, you know, 2,000 words or so, and shot it off into the interwebs and was just like, okay, whatever. Now, normally when I write a blog post and I send it off, uh, I will come at the end of the day, because I'll write it in the morning, I'll come at the end of the day, and I will look at the, the metrics, like how many page views have I seen, who's sharing this, who's linking to this, kind of what's going on with that, just because I'm curious to see what readership is, and I'm trying to be strategic and faithful with those resources. Uh, and most of the time when I write blog posts, it's like four or 500 people will read it, which is a pretty good amount. So I go, okay, that's, that was a good post. So I wrote this post, uh, and it was entitled, How Might Christians Respond to the Issue of Gay Marriage? So I send it off, I go to work, this is before I was at LifePoint. I come home, I open my laptop on the calendar, uh, on the counter, on the kitchen counter, and I, you know, I go to my, my stats page, and I just kind of open it. And I just remember I, I got it ready to go to load, and then I went, you know, I went and took care of my daughter. I was talking to my wife. I think we were cooking dinner or whatever, and I came and I looked at it, and the number just overwhelmed me, okay? It was 100,000 people had viewed the blog post. 
And so I was like, Natalie, come over here, look at this number. I've never seen a number this large before, not on a check, nowhere. Like, this is a large number, right? A hundred, look at all those zeros, like, what, what's going on? And so we were cooking and we were playing this game. We were like, okay, surely, like, that's it. Somehow I've been spammed or something. I was like, okay, whatever. So we would, like, cook a little bit and then we'd refresh and it was 150,000. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, it was, like, tripling its rate speed. And I was like, oh, my goodness, all these shares on Facebook. I start getting text messages from people, from my friends who live in other states, and they go, hey, a friend just shared this post with me in, you know, uh, Alaska. And I'm like, what, what, what's going on? Like, people in Europe that are friends in Europe, they're texting me, or they're, you know, they're sending me emails, hey, I just saw your post share, and I was like, what's going on? I, I think this is what they refer to as a viral post, right? And so, when it was all said and done, there were over 250,000 views uh, on this particular post here. In fact, uh, my hosting site had to charge me extra for all the people who were trafficking my website. It was just crazy. The next morning, I get a phone call from a local radio station who wants me to come on and talk about this issue, uh, just one of these kind of conservative talk shows. And so I go on in the morning on this radio show. I've never been on radio before, and now I'm having to talk about this issue. And this guy's you know, introducing me as Doug Hankins, expert on homosexuality and Christianity. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa I, I never said that. Right? I'm just a guy who wrote a blog post, had no idea this was going to happen. Well, the funny thing is, that was like a Wednesday or Thursday. For Sunday, the Waco Tribune Herald, we were living in Waco at the time, they picked up my blog post and featured it as the guest columnist for the Sunday paper. And I was just like, what is happening? Like, this is crazy. I, and, and, you know, as a response, I was so freaked out by this kind of range of influence, I, ha I just stopped blogging for like a month. I was like, I can, A, I can never top this. B, like, I, I just, I don't know how I feel. I'm, I just don't know if I'm responsible enough to handle all of this uh, influence here. Well, what was really funny is uh, I, I came to LifePoint in June of 2013, and um, I started meeting all these people, and as they got to know me, they started telling me, they were like, oh, wait, did you write a blog post about gay marriage in March of 2013? I was like, yeah, I, I totally did. They're like, oh, I totally read that, and I shared that on Facebook. It's like, this is, this is bananas. Stephen Chalk, in fact, today, uh, Dr. Stephen Chalk, who's the long-standing member here, he texted me and said, hey, I'm praying for you today, and I just want to let you know, I just realized you're that guy who wrote that blog post in 2013. <laughs> and the same thing happened with David Pfizer. When David Pfizer came here from California to be student pastor, he was like, hey, you know, Doug Hinkins, wait a minute, did you write a blog post in 2013 on gay marriage? I was like, oh my goodness, like it was just this weird kind of thing, right, that was going on there. Well, I tell that story not to backdoor brag on myself that I'm so amazing. Again, I'm not. I tell that story to say this. I think what I discovered is that many of us have pressing curiosity uh, and questions about how, as believers, we should respond to this whole uh, movement of, of, of uh, the Supreme Court and gay marriage and specifically loving our gay neighbors. We just have tons of questions, and we have a lack of resources that speak to this issue in a helpful way. And so what I want to do today is, is just that. Again, this is my claim. I'm not solving all the world's problems. I just want to, in a helpful way, speak to this issue to give us, to equip us with some helpful terminology and to then help us just dive, just barely just dive into how that might change in terms of application of love, specifically as it relates to our gay neighbors. And with that in mind, I invite you to pray. Pray for me, pray with me, pray for your neighbors that, that God would really do a work from this message today. And, and we'll just pray right now. And Frisco, you can join me in praying. Jesus, um, you are the one who makes all of this possible. And you're the one who tells us in John 3, 16, 
that God loves the world. No qualifications, no conditions. There's no asterisk on there with a footnote that says some exceptions apply. You love the whole world, and you call us to love the whole world too. And Lord, this is a pretty complex issue that we're going to deal with today. So at the end, Lord, teach us your truth that we may be the kind of people who love the whole world like you love the whole world. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, if you have it open, chapter 4, we're just going to focus on one verse. is verse uh, 15. Paul has just said in Ephesians 4 that when God set up the church, the local church, he gave some to be apostles and prophets and preachers and teachers. He sets up these offices of leadership. And God sets up offices of leadership so that the church would grow, so that they would grow up, so that the church would mature, so that the church would become these mature, loving kind of people. And, and he says all of this, um, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by crafty, craftiness and deceitful schemes. And then in verse 15, which is what's going to frame our morning Paul writes this, instead, or rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Let me read that again for us. Rather, instead of being little children, we should be speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Again, the goal for Paul is that we are growing up and becoming more Christ-like in every aspect, specifically in the way that we love. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I had the red solo cups and said, God's job is to pour into us. That's what he does. He pours into us and we, the, our, our love from God overflows into love for others. That's how we love God and we love others. God doesn't have any needs and so he just gives and gives and gives and gives. Therefore, as believers, we can risk loving and loving and loving and loving because we know that God's gonna fill us back up. Right? That was two weeks ago. Last week, for you guys uh, uh, here in uh, Plano, Frisco, you heard that message the second week. And here in Plano, you guys heard Pastor George talk about the gospel, that when God saves us, he, is, he assures us that we are saved. So we're in this just assured, safe, comfortable relationship with God. It may be crazy on the outside, but internally God brings us that peace, and we can be assured of it. Well, in light of all of that, we are to called to be those who love. And one of the ways that we love others, especially when it's inconvenient and life point in the current 21st century culture that we live in in America, this might be incredibly inconvenient for you. But one of the ways that we're called to love is to speak truth in love. And that's where I want us to go here today, talking about truth and talking about love here. And so the first half of what we're gonna talk about is speaking truth. And the second half of what we're gonna talk about is doing it in a loving manner. And so I wanna frame our morning kind of in these two parts uh, with two questions. And the first question is, uh, what does the Bible say specifically about homosexuality? And then number two, how then should I love my gay neighbor in light of this truth? So we're, we've got this truth that informs the way we live, and then there's this very beautiful, practical application on how we should love in light of this truth. That's how we're going to approach this topic. And I would just commend this to each of you, that this is a really helpful way to approach this topic with your gay uh, neighbors, friends, family members, uh, etc. And so let's deal with these one question at a time. Question one. And if you have bulletins, you can see them in the bulletins. Uh, we got some stuff to fill out here. The first question is, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? 
And maybe more importantly is this, what does the Bible not say about homosexuality? I had a, a person who's a relatively new believer who was talking to me recently, uh, and this, this guy said, he's like, hey, what does the Bible say about like my gay friends? Does it say that if, you know, if you're gay that you should stone gay people? Like, is that what the Bible says? Like you should just put them all together in a ghettoed concentration camp and then murder them? I was like, no, it doesn't say anything close to that. That's terrible. Like, where did you, where did you hear this? Like, no, there, there is all this really weird stuff floating around in, you know, on the internet and in culture. There's all these misperceptions of what the Bible says. And so I want to be real clear today. The Bible has clear teachings, and some of it's hard. But I think if we can just take a step back and look at it in its entirety, we're going to be able to absorb it just a little bit better. It definitely doesn't say that. It says something else. Here's, what, here's uh, first what I think is helpful, because I think we've got to define terms first. When we talk about homosexuality, really there are three streams of thought that influence that loaded complex term homosexuality or uh, gay or lesbian or a bisexual, transgender, queer. Those are kind of a, a grouping of terms which have come to describe a culture of people and some individuals in America. So there are three streams of thought that I think are important for us to understand. The first one is this. Um, the first one is in your, it's in your uh, bulletin. It's same-sex orientation. Same-sex orientation, SSO, uh, we can shorten it for our purposes. Same-sex orientation. And this just means this. I as an individual, and I'm using this hypothetically, an individual would say, I as an individual feel in terms of my sexual orientation, I feel oriented towards the same sex. So if I'm a man, I, I just feel oriented towards other men. If I'm a woman, I feel oriented towards other women. And so same-sex orientation. And, and this is... Uh, this, is, uh, this is a big one, okay? And we'll, we'll kind of address that in a little bit. But same-sex orientation is the first stream. The second stream of thought is this. It's same-sex behavior, SSB, same-sex behavior. And what this says is, uh, a part, I'm not even going to consider my orientation, just as it plays out, when I think about sexual behavior, I could describe my sexual behavior as with a partner who is the same sex as myself. So man with man, female with female. Okay, so same-sex behavior. And the third stream is same-sex identity. Same-sex identity. And this is probably the most complex of this issue. Same-sex identity says this. When I think about who I am in all honesty and transparency, I cannot get away from the reality that who I am as a person is a homosexual. Okay, and let me talk about that just a little bit more because I think you're starting to see something problematic here that's not just with a lot of, a lot of uh, individuals in, the, in our gay community. We're talking about broadly as Americans or Westerners or globally. There's a, there's a lot of identity problems. So let's just kind of normalize this or kind of uh, equalize this across everybody, all persons living on the, on the globe right now. There's this sociological term, and it's in your bulletin there. It's the big blank, and it's called master status. Master status. And master status just means this. It's in your bulletin. It's a sociological term used to describe the status of greatest importance in a particular person's life. It's the status which describes the greatest importance in any individual's life. So think about this. You guys are at a party. You're just like a cocktail party or some kind of party, right? And you meet someone for the first time, and you have this exchange. Oh, hi. What's your name? My name is George. What's your name? My name is Doug, right? Okay. And so then you go... Okay, George, like, tell me about yourself. 
And the sentence you use first to tell the new person about yourself typically is an indicator towards your master status. My name is Doug. I'm a man. My name is Doug. I play basketball. My name is Doug. I'm a pastor. My name is Doug. Uh, I'm a husband. My name is Doug. I'm a father. My name is Doug. Uh, I play air drums on my commute in the morning, right? Some, like whatever you use to fill in the blank after I am or I do or whatever, uh, when someone says, tell me more about yourself, that's typically an indication of your master status. Just think about it in conversations you've had, right? You may lead with your job. My name is so-and-so, this is what I do. Or you may lead uh, with uh, you know, something that you really enjoy, like a hobby. My name is so-and-so, and I like to play golf, or I like to get on Pinterest for four hours, or you know, something like that, right? And typically, however you fill in the blank after my name is, this is what I do, or this is who I am, that's typically your master status. And where you see this become really prominent is... Um, and this is, this, I'm not speaking ill, I'm just describing reality, but if you have friends who are cancer survivors, my mother-in-law was a cancer survivor, right? And so you would say this, like, my name is Doug and I'm a cancer survivor. In fact, you see these commercials, a lot of the American Cancer Society puts these commercials out, my name is Joan and I'm a, a breast cancer survivor. And what that is essentially doing is saying, we should identify that person by this experience or event because it's common for a number of people. That's your master status. And that master status is an important thing. It shapes holistically all of your identity to such an extent that once that, that thing becomes your master status, you begin to make that the lens by which you view everything else. If you're a cancer survivor, you are constantly viewing all of life through the prism or through the lens of a cancer survivor. If, if you're um, a, a victim of assault, you begin to always um, define everything through the lens of being a victim of assault. If you're an avid golfer, you typically tend to view everything through the lens of being an avid golfer. And where this fits into our conversation is if you are someone who is either uh, same-sex oriented or same, you, you practice same-sex behavior and you begin to adopt a same-sex identity, you begin to view all of life through that lens of same-sex identity. Now, here's the thing at the very, the very end of all of that. When you have gay neighbors or gay friends, gay coworkers, they can be either one or all three of these streams here, either one or all three. Meaning it may be that someone uh, who is your gay neighbor, they say, I feel these same-sex uh, orientation, the same-sex attraction towards someone else, right? Or they may say, I have participated in same-sex behavior. So just for example there, if you uh, have a friend who would describe themselves as bisexual, here's what they're saying. I have same-sex orientation, I also have different sex orientation, and I don't feel the need to negotiate those two, between those two or pick a side. I am equally oriented, and therefore, as a result of that, I may have behaved in a sexual way with both uh, uh, sexes, okay? That's, that's how that has worked for me, okay? And so they may, this person who is bisexual may not actually identify in terms of their master status as being homosexual or being bisexual or something like that. They, they may just say, hey, I, I don't feel the need to identify like that, but in terms of practice, I, I, I go this way. In, in fact, a really great example of this um, is my, my friend uh, Brian is a uh, Marine, and he spent considerable amount of time in the early 2000s, uh, in the midst of kind of after 9-11, spent considerable amount of time in an Arabic, predominantly Arabic country. I'll keep it kind of private. But uh, 
he came back and I was asking him to tell me about Arabic culture, like, you know, what was the culture like and tell me about that. And one of the things he said that just struck me is very interesting. You may know about this. In Arabic culture, there is no homosexuality, especially predominantly Islamic Arabic culture. There is no homosexuality. And so you, all, all the people he would interact with would say, hey, tell me, are there any, you know, are there any gay or lesbian men or women in your society? And they'd be like, no, there are no gays or lesbians here. That's just something that's in the West, right? Europe and America has gay and lesbian people. We don't have it here. And in the same conversation, he would ask the guy, you know, they would just be having a conversation. The guy would talk about um, how he had um, sexual relationships with other men. And Brian is like, wait, 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 like unpack that for me. And the men would say this, men are for pleasure, women are for procreation. And in Arabic culture, that's very common, as this person would tell him. And Brian said, well, wait a minute, but you don't identify as gay or lesbian, you know, bisexual? And he was like, no, 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 I'm a heterosexual male. I'm, I'm an Arabic Islamic male. And he, he would be like, it, he just could not, like in, in America, like if this, then this, but in Arabic culture, those things can be separate. And I think what's, what, what Brian experienced and what's being pointed out here is for each individual, they kind of express their own identity in their own way. So you may have a gay neighbor who practices gay behavior, uh, who maybe feels oriented towards some same-sex things, but they may not identify that. And so I tell you all this because I don't want you to make any kind of assumption about how that gets executed or negotiated in the individual's life. You're going to, as you build a relationship, have to discover that with them um, on their own terms. And so I just wanna make sure, LifePoint, you're clear on these terms, these are helpful terms, these are good diagnostic terms as you're meeting friends and just trying to figure out what the situation is, okay? So there's the terms, I wanna lay those out. Here's the question we have to ask about truth, is this. Given what we know about same-sex orientation, same-sex behavior, and same-sex identity, what does the Bible say about each of these substreams of the larger conversation? And in your bulletin, here's what we have. The verses that speak to same-sex orientation, there is nothing in Scripture. There's no point in Scripture that says human beings are going to be oriented a certain way and this is either okay or, you know, not okay. The, the Bible largely doesn't speak to this issue of orientation, and here's the reason why. The idea of attraction or orientation is largely a 20th and 21st century psychological term that gets applied um, to, to our context and to our situations. So the Bible just doesn't speak to that. I, I think you could probably find some principles that kind of come along and may inform that, but in terms of just plain, general Bible speaking, it just doesn't speak to that, okay? Number two, the verses that speak to same-sex behavior, this is where the Bible predominantly speaks to. And so it just addresses behavior. And they're listed here uh, in your uh, bulletin for time's sake. I won't read them, but basically the Bible has a lot to say about same-sex behavior. In terms of same-sex identity, the Bible doesn't speak to same-sex identity at all, but it does speak to identity as it relates to master status. And so this is worth reading in Galatians 2, uh, 20. Paul writes this, uh, if you're a believer in Christ, here's something you would say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. My identity's gone, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so here's what this means. For Christians, I'm not talking about non-Christians, but for Christians, the identity that we have is in Christ, okay? So when you meet someone at a party, the Bible would inform your behavior in this way. Hi, my name is Doug. My name is George. Uh, Doug, tell me more about yourself. Well, my name's Doug. I'm a Christian. 
That's my master status. If you're a Christian, that's your master status. You're not a Christian golfer. Christian is not a descriptive word that actually gets applied to something else. It is the something else. I'm a Christian. I'm not a Christian pastor. I'm not a Christian man. I'm not a Christian husband. I'm just a Christian. And sure, there are all these other roles and responsibilities that I take on, but they get subjugated for this master status here. And so we'll talk about why that's important once we get into the application part that we're going to get to just next. But let me just make these concluding remarks about this so we can address the next question. Okay? So we've talked about SSO, SSB, SSI. And this is the, the biblical context for speaking to this issue is really isolated to behavior. Okay? The Bible clearly says this behavior is not for Christians. This behavior is wrong. This behavior is not something that leads to human flourishing. And in the podcast and the blog post, I'll say more about that this week. Uh, but let me just say this. Let's say you have this truth, right? And you've got it with you. How then should you plan on bringing this truth up with your gay neighbor? Let me just give you this, this brief piece of advice. I think given the sensitivity of this issue and the opportunity culturally for broad misunderstanding, my recommendation as a pastor is to say this. When it comes to the truth of scripture and homosexuality, plan to be reactive, not proactive. Let me say that again. When it comes to biblical truth and homosexuality, plan to be reactive, not proactive. Meaning, you should be prepared to have a reasonable answer for why you believe the Bible's truth as it relates to homosexual behavior. But I wouldn't lead the conversation with that, right? It's the first time you meet your gay neighbor, you go over to their house and you know, it's, it's Joe and you know, Greg and you know, they're, they're your neighbors. And you know, you're talking about granite countertops. You're like, oh, you went for the granite. You didn't go butcher block. That's awesome. Why did you choose granite, not butcher block? Well, we thought you know, granite had better resale value. Awesome, that's a great idea because home prices are crazy here and you'll probably get to resell that, right? And you're just having the conversation. Oh, wow, you went with the 60 inch TV, not the 20 inch TV. That was a great call, right? And so there's like a lull in the conversation and you're like, hmm, so you're gay. Hey, let's talk about what the Bible says about homosexual behavior, ready? Can we have that as our third conversation since just meeting you, right? I don't recommend in general that you lead with that conversation. And the reason for that is this. It's a very uh, key principle about communicating and specifically preaching as it relates to, to people. It's this, as believers, we're not called to preach the Bible. We're called to preach the Bible to people. Let me say that again. As believers, we're not called to proclaim the truth of Scripture. Life point. We're called to proclaim the truth of Scripture to people. And guess what? People can get confused and upset and misunderstood and all that stuff. And so relationally, I think you're going to have to build up some cap space. You're going to need to build some credit with your gay neighbors before you bring up that conversation. And I would even say this, it may not be the best thing to bring that conversation up because the balance of probability is this. When you have a gay neighbor and they know you're a Christian, specifically an evangelical Christian who goes to Life Point Church, and you're the kind of Christian who invites people to come to Easter services and wants everybody to be saved, that the balance of probability is this, they're gonna bring that conversation up to you, okay? So just be prepared, just in as much as you have your Christian testimony and you have gospel proclamation in your back pocket ready to go, you should probably be prepared to have uh, the conversation about homosexual behavior, orientation, identity, ready to go, but be reactive with it. Don't be proactive with it, okay? So those are my concluding thoughts on that. Now, we have like four minutes left in the sermon. I'm only halfway through, so let me try to get through this next stuff because now we're getting to the application, right? This is the good stuff. 
So let's get to application. The application question is this. In light of all of this truth, how do I love my gay neighbor? In light of all this truth, how do I love my gay neighbor? And I want to give you five verses that, that just address this issue, okay? Five verses that I think are super helpful. And really, let me just say this. This doesn't just apply to your gay neighbor. This is how you love your neighbor, period, right? We're talking specifically about your gay neighbor because our culture seems to be quite obsessed with that terminology for good and for bad reasons. And so as Christians, we're just specifying, and as a Christian, I'm just specifying your gay neighbor when really I could talk about all your neighbors. You should apply all this to all of your neighbors, but specifically, let me, let me uh, kind of nuance it to how you should talk and speak with your gay neighbor. Number one, in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, and you can read it there, Recall that love means giving of yourself, especially when it's inconvenient. We talked about that two weeks ago. Love is a demonstrated way. It's, it's a demonstration. It's not a feeling. It's a demonstrated way that you give of yourself, especially when it's inconvenient. And so this might be an inconvenient conversation. And guess what? Speaking truth, especially uncomfortable truth, is incredibly inconvenient. And so just know part of the way you're going to be able to love your gay neighbor is by speaking truth into their lives when they ask. Okay? Don't hide from it, don't duck it, just feel free to speak that truth. But it's also the way you continue to love them even after you've spoken the truth and it gets awkward and you say, but I'm still gonna love you and I still wanna be friends with you. And they say, I still wanna be friends with you too and we're gonna be in tension and you go, okay, that's beautiful. It's, it's gonna be inconvenient, it's gonna be messy, but you know what? Life is messy and so and it's okay. Loving your neighbor is always a messy thing. So I'll just say that. Number two, continue the practice of repentance for identity struggles, and for legalism. And have Galatians 2.20 listed there again. Remember, we are called to find our identity in Christ as believers. And here's, here's what I wanna say on this. I, I think as believers, it would be helpful for us to put on repentance and to put it on, especially before we have these conversations with our gay neighbors, especially as we, as we interact with our gay neighbors. So maybe your gay neighbor says, so you're a Christian. What do you think about the, what the Bible says about homosexuality? I think the first thing you do is like Nehemiah, you just stop and you say, Lord, I wanna repent for a lot of my arrogance in this issue, and now I'm ready to have this conversation. And here's why. Because number one, I think a lot of our gay neighbors have seen us as Christians lifting up some other master status for our identity. For years and years and years, we could define ourselves as heterosexuals. Oh, I'm a heterosexual, so I'm a good person which implies if you're a homosexual, you're a bad person. And so for years and years and years, we've, we've made these disparaging master status comments to our friends, and what we should have been doing is lifting up Christ. Listen, I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace. My identity's found in Christ. My identity's found in Christ. But as, as Christians, I would say historically, not any of y'all, Frisco, not any of y'all, but as Christians broadly in America, we've lifted up other master statuses. My name is Doug, I'm a Republican, or my name is Doug, and I'm an independent, or I'm a, I'm a Democrat, or my name is Doug, and I'm anything else, right? And so I think we've got to repent from adopting or appropriating the wrong master status for our lives. It's number one, because I think that levels the playing field. Number two, I think we've got to repent for our legalism. And here's what I mean by that. For a lot of different reasons, the church broadly has made homosexuality the unforgivable sin. And we make it the sin we just like dwell on. It's like, there's like three or four sins we have, we have historically in America talked about. And if you grew up in Catholic or Baptist backgrounds, you guys know what I'm, I'm talking about. There's like homosexuality, gambling, 
alcohol, right? Those are bad. And so if you do any of those three things, it's like unforgivable. And we preach whole sermons on it. We talk about it. We focus on it. We write tracks on it. We write blog posts on it. We all rally around that. And I think there's some really good motivating reasons to talk about those particular issues. But I think one of the unfortunate negative consequences is that we, we hyper-focus on homosexuality being the most unforgivable sin out there. And our gay neighbors are right to come to us and to say the following. Why is it, Christian, you rail on homosexuality, but you have other Christian friends who are participating in sexual immorality, sleeping around on their spouses, sleeping with people who are not their husbands or wives, and you don't ever address that, right? That's like the number one comeback from a lot of my gay friends is, why do you talk so much about gay, gay marriage when a lot of Christian marriages are falling apart and there's lots of sexual immorality there? And you know what my answer has been? You're right. And as the church, I am sorry for years and years and years of misappropriating God's word to make my privileged sins worse than my unprivileged sins, right? And so I think we just need to take that spirit of repentance in with us in our conversation there, because I think that will diffuse a lot of the past uh, um, problems that our gay neighbors have dealt with. Uh, number three, I think we're to remind ourselves that there is always level ground at the foot of the cross. And again, guess what? Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, our gay neighbors and us. And so we don't come from a position of superiority. We come at the level of the, of the cross, which is this level ground. And we say, hey, we're just talking just before the cross. The cross is our standard, not me, not my life, not my friend's life, not the historical Christian church, but the cross is our standard. And we're gonna be able to talk um, honestly about that. Number four, we're to put on our church clothes. And this is worth reading. Paul says this in Colossians 3, you should put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and then like a belt buckle, you, you buckle this church close together with love, Right? I think we just need to remember, maybe that's a great verse for you to pray before you go talk to your gay neighbor and you know you're gonna have the conversation soon, just to really put on humility. And finally, just be ready for tension. Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have suffering and tribulation, but it's okay, I've overcome the world. For you to think, Christian, that you're gonna be able to have this conversation and then all the tension's gonna be eased and it's gonna be all puppy dogs and unicorns after that. It's just not the world we live in, guys. Genesis three, we live in a fallen world and there's tension everywhere and life has a lot of suffering. And so what, what I would encourage you to be ready for is to be ready to live in tension because that's the way the world operates. Now, how do we put all this together? I wanna recommend somebody to you and I wanna not recommend two people. There, there have been these three popular kind of visions of Christian leadership as, as it relates to this issue of, of homosexuality and homosexual behavior. And I talk about it in my blog. I'll, I'll put it on kind of our, our social media page so you can read it uh, in depth, but, but they're, they're worth speaking about. The first one uh, is a guy uh, named Thomas Strobar. Thomas Strobar is a shareholder of Starbucks and routinely he would in the past go to Starbucks meetings and get up and talk about gay marriage at the uh, shareholders meetings, just to like troll the, the share owners. And the president of Starbucks got so frustrated, or the CEO of Starbucks got so frustrated in one shareholder meeting, he just basically said, I don't like you, and because of you, I don't, I don't ever wanna serve coffee to any other Christians. 
And of course, that comment gets put out on the internet. So all these Christians are like, we're not going to Starbucks, red cups, whoa, right? And they're just freaked out about things. Well, here's, that, that represents one way of dealing with it, where again, you lead with this truth and you just troll people and you go on social media and you're like, look at what the gays are doing. And you always use that phrase, the gays, as if that's the official moniker, right? Look at what the gays are doing. And you just, right, again, this just violates a number of these application points. It's not loving and it's proactive in truth. But speaking the truth in love means sometimes we're gonna have to be reactive and responsive with that after we've built up enough chips to have that hard conversation. So I would not recommend him. The second is a guy named Rob Bell who used to be a pastor and he's an author. It's incredibly brilliant communicator, you know, just great communicator, writer, speaker. But his approach has been, hey, Gay marriage and homosexuality seems to be a thing, so let's just, let's just embrace it. Let's leave scripture behind and just embrace it. And the problem with this model is it's, it seems to be very loving, but it, it leaves truth behind. And so I just want to make sure you understand this. If you leave truth behind, you're not being loving, right? That's the equivalent of going, oh, oh, daughter, sure, run into the street where the busy cars are. I just, I, I would hate to tell you this truth that cars are gonna kill you because I want you to be loved, right? And then she runs and gets hit by a car, right? There's nothing loving about that. Again, sometimes the most loving thing we can do, life point, is we can speak truth to people who ask us for truth. And so I don't think that's a good approach. The third approach here is Colossians, uh, I'm sorry, is uh, uh, Dan Cathy, who's the, uh, CEO of Chick-fil-A. And if you remember a couple years ago, he got into trouble for talking about, uh, you know, our company is a Christian company and, you know, we're for same-sex marriage and a lot of people protested Chick-fil-A. Well, what you may not know about that is uh, the, a couple of protest groups actually went, he invited them to come meet with him and they talked about the issue. And he was like, look, here's what the Bible says, but here's how I feel about you and here's how I feel about the gay community. And one of those particular groups left and had an interview, and here's what they wrote about Dan Cathy. They called him a, quote, respectful and civil man, end quote, and a man who listened to my concern with empathy. And this is, folks, a beautiful picture of tolerance. Tolerance is not just embracing everything and accepting everything and approving of everything. That's not tolerance. Tolerance is knowing truth and then speaking that truth in love and being willing to live in that tension. And that's what I think God's called the church to do on all issues, specifically on this issue. Let's pray on that. And I apologize for going seven minutes over. Your kids are probably going you know, bananas right now, but it's okay, LPK is giving them sugar, so y'all should be fine. So Frisco, I'm gonna pray for you guys. Plano, I'm gonna set this up. Uh, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna have our offering time uh, and we'll conclude with one more song. And so Frisco, I'll set this up for you guys as well. Jesus, uh, I thank you that you have uh, given us truth, but also given us a model of love. And my prayer, my prayer is that you would move our church family and really the whole church, all Christians, to be the most tolerant people on the planet, meaning they are uh, confident about speaking God's truth in the most loving way possible. I thank you for this message and for this series that we're talking about love and pray that you would mold us into to really mature believers to grow us up in light of it. And Lord, as we are about to take an offering, both at Plano and at Frisco, I pray that you would use this offering, the money we put in the plate, to advance your kingdom uh, in Plano and in Frisco, Texas and beyond. And it's in your name that we pray, amen. LifePoint, they're gonna sing one more song.